again, and welcome back to Pastor Life Podcast from Pinnacle Leadership Associates. I'm David Brown, Pinnacle Associate and Pastor of the Welcome Table in Rock Hill, South Carolina. And I'm Rhonda Blevins, Pinnacle Associate and Pastor of Chapel by the Sea in Clearwater Beach, Florida. Today, we continue our courageous conversations. Our hope for this season is to help pastors and clergy consider ways to tackle some of the challenging issues that the church is facing today. Yeah, so some of our episodes this season focus on a particular issue or topic, while our bonus episodes introduce methods or models for how we might lead courageous conversations in our different parishes. So today is one of those bonus episodes, and we have an awesome guest with us on the pod today. Rhonda, will you introduce our guest? Yeah, of course. So John Noltner joins us on the pod today. I'm really excited about this. John is an award-winning photographer. His work has taken him to four continents. Maybe you've seen it in National Geographic Traveler. Maybe you've seen some of his work in Forbes. Uh, But he's probably best known for a project that he's been working on for several years now. And the project is called A Piece of My Mind. And peace is spelled P-E-A-C. See what he did there? So I see. I yeah. see. Creative. Clever. Uh-huh. Right? Um, so he'll tell us the story of how the project came to be in the interview, and I, I think that our listeners will find it inspiring. Great. So he's really our first true artist on the pod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And an award-winning artist at that. Well, here we go with episode 22 of Pastor Life Podcast, A Piece of My Mind with John Noltner. So Rhonda, this is the third method or model that we've explored for carrying out these courageous conversations in our churches. Tell us a little bit as we get started about how John Noltner's A Piece of My Mind is maybe a little different than the other models we've introduced. Yeah. So our first model that we explored with Reverend Elizabeth Hagen was her Brave Church model. And it's very much church-based. Um, it's kind of focused around uh, ground rules and, and a covenant in coming together and having these courageous conversations. The second model we explored uh, with Reverend Beth Head from a nonprofit called Braver Angels, and it's not church-based. And it's a very much, it's a formulaic approach that works, you know, it can work in church or secular settings. Uh, Volunteers are trained uh, and and equipped with lots of skill in leading or moderating conversations. Um, John Noltner, who we have on the pod today, uses the arts. He is a photographer, and he uses his medium to tell stories, um, connecting people to one another through story and, and through his photography. Huh. That's interesting. You know, I I think about how, you know, for instance, Jesus in his teachings told stories or or painted word pictures, you know, we yeah. would call them parables. And I, I think for Jesus, part of that was to capture the imagination of his listener, but maybe even also to disarm the listener, yeah. you know, to to help people lower their defenses or potentially to create a pathway to seeing a tricky theological issue through a different perspective. Is is there any of that that's going on in what John Moltner is doing? Oh, I I, I very much think 
that's exactly what he's trying to do. And his goal, you know, is working towards peace. And this is his, um, this is his way and his contribution to a greater movement of peace. Uh, his story is really fascinating. I, I, you know, I think you're, you're going to really enjoy it. But when, when we think about story, uh, the thing I've always said, uh, or, or thought at least, and said occasionally, is that you can argue with me about anything. But the one thing you really can't argue with me about is my story. Yeah, and it seems like story is a particularly human sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, I know that scientists and biologists sort of debate about what is it, if anything, that distinguishes human beings from the rest of, you know, created animals, creatures, you know, that uh, that that maybe this is part of it, you know, some ability to, to reflect, some ability to tell our story um, and... If, if that's a unique part of what it means to be human, then I think it's also a unique part of our connection to one another. And if we're experiencing these divides around cultural wedges or difficult conversations, then your know, story might be as good a pathway forward together as anything. Maybe better than lots of things, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, so John's going to share some of his methods for using stories and art to connect people across divides? Is that where we're headed? Yeah, that's exactly where we're headed. And, and I'll kind of explore with him how churches might um, engage his work. So yeah, I think our pastors and clergy listening in will really enjoy hearing from John Nultner. Well, let's go to the interview. We welcome to the pod today, John Nultner. John is a gifted storyteller and photographer, He's worked on four continents, and gathering he gathers accounts of human courage and grace and resilience. His work has appeared in National Geographic Traveler, Forbes, Midwest Living, New York Daily News. His series, it's called A Piece of My Mind. It's been produced as two award-winning books, as well as four exhibits that travel the country for presentations such as the Nobel Peace Prize Forum, Everyday Democracy, the National Civil Rights Museum, and the Gandhi King Conference on Nonviolence. All of those conferences sound awesome. I want to go to all of them. John and his wife, Karen, have pulled up their anchor in Bloomington, Minnesota, and they've taken their lives on the road full time in search of stories of hope, healing, and transformation. John recently published Portraits of Peace, Searching for Hope in a Divided America. I recently purchased it myself from Amazon.com. And I'm really enjoying the read. So, John, it's so good to have you on the pod today. Thanks for being a part of it. Yeah, thanks, Rhonda. I'm glad to be here with you. Is there anything you would add to the introduction that I just offered? Uh, well, I would add that my wife and I are also Christmas tree farmers, but I'm not sure it's relevant to this conversation. Oh, well, yeah. What In Minnesota, you have a Christmas tree farm? We have an 80-acre tree farm in western Wisconsin. And, oh, okay. All right. Um, maybe someday when we're done roaming around in this RV, we'll settle there. We're not quite sure yet. Okay. Well, if you want to buy a Christmas tree, you can go to uh, Minnesota and oh, in Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, actually, you, said, yeah, <laughs> you have to go to Lowe's or Home Depot because we've okay. all sailed them all off. Fair and enough. I can't promise you it'll be one of my treats. <laughs> well, um, so I guess, John, let's start maybe with the book that you recently published. Congratulations, by the way. That's a big accomplishment. Um, well, thank you. I haven't finished the book. My apologies for that. But in what I've read, uh, you have described 
during the Great Recession of what was that, 2008, 2009, yeah. um, you were working as a freelance photographer, doing quite well, you know, but your work took a nosedive, as did a lot of um, sort of occupations and vocations. But you had been thinking about a larger project. So the freedom that you found during the recession gave you the opportunity to launch your project, which is called A Piece of My Mind, Peace spelled P-E-A. CE, clever turn of words there. Um, but can you tell us more about the process that led you to the project called A Piece of My Mind? And, and maybe why did this project eventually lead you and your wife to pull up anchor? And you're, you're on the road full time now. You live in your RV, right? Yeah, we've been doing that for a year now. Yeah, cool. So um, I'm glad you caught the play on words. Normally, when we say I'm going to give someone a piece of my mind, it's anything but peaceful. But, uh, right. <laughs> you know, um, back in the recession, you're, you're right. I was a freelance photographer shooting for all these national magazines and Fortune 500 companies. But I was getting a little restless. I was, a, I was increasingly concerned with the quality of our national dialogue and all yeah. of the things that ask us to look at what can separate us. I like to say that the economy handed me some free time. Uh, <laughs> That's you know, a positive which, way to look at it. Which is an optimistic view of the world. But the truth is, when you're a freelancer and the phone keeps ringing, it's really hard to say no. You know, when your schedule fills up, and especially when it fills up with really interesting and fascinating projects, you don't say no to that. But I felt like there was something more that I should be doing. Well, when that space opened up in my schedule, I really wondered if there was something I could do with my with my skill set, with my photography and storytelling, instead of looking at what divides us, to try to remember what connects us. And that was a really, it was a really simple process, but um, basically we started sitting down with people from all different backgrounds and um, interviewing them, asking them, what does peace mean to you? How do you work yeah. towards it in your life? What are some of the obstacles you encounter along the way? And then I did a portrait. I'm a photographer. So right. it, that was a natural part of the project. Um, and at first I didn't even know what to do with these things. You know, they just sat on my hard drive for a little while <laughs> as I was curious and exploring the idea. And then a friend said, well, you ought to share these online. Uh, so I did. And then, um, we found funding for an exhibit. We found funding for a book and, and started realizing that this was a body of work that we could use to encourage people to have conversations. Yeah to to really foster public dialogue around the common good and around finding uh, healing and transformation and growth in communities. Oh, that's that's a beautiful story. So you I mean you were interested in in peace and how, what you might do to foster peace. And uh, would you say a little bit about what role your faith played in that? I mean, this is a group of pastors, right? And clergy. So. <laughs> right, right. Um, my, some of my favorite conversations are at the intersection of faith and social justice and uh -huh. the arts. And um, I'm not a trained theologian. I, I, can't, I can't quote a lot of scripture and I probably couldn't, um, couldn't recite all 10 <laughs> commandments right now, although I think I have the gist of it, but, <laughs> but I am, I am moved and I'm continually, continually brought back to Jesus call to love one another and what that means in our world today. And I've, I've looked for the loopholes and I've looked for the exceptions and it doesn't <laughs> say love the ones that look like you. And it doesn't say love the ones that live like you. It doesn't say love the ones that voted like you in the last election cycle. It says <laughs> love one another 
period. Yeah. And, and that's where this project begins. And so for me, part of that love of neighbor is deep listening and being able to say to people, I see you, I hear you and you matter. Um, no matter who that is in the world. And so in, in my travel photography, you know, I've photographed in 48 States and, and 38 countries, uh, through my career. And in that process, I've encountered people who are homeless and CEOs and artists and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, people who, who work the barges on the Mississippi and, uh, and there is beauty and wisdom in all of those folks. And it's something that I always sought out and recognized. And so it, it sort of pains me when I see this division that's pointing at somebody across that perceived divide and, and, and disparaging or tearing down that person in that group. And so, you know, I guess my dad was a social worker and my mom was an educator. And so it, in some regard, these notions of the common good and the larger community have always been present in our lives. Oh, yeah. Well, th- that intersection of arts and story um, and beauty, um, you know, I think I, I think pastors, when we're at our best, we we kind of we kind of hang out in that same arena, if you will. So maybe we'll we'll talk more about that as the interview goes on. But so. Tell me about your travels. You've been on the road, you and your wife, and your RV for a year or so. So what does the project look like? So what are you doing out there on the road? Yeah, so so we had built a pretty robust schedule of public programming. So in 2019, I think I led programming in uh, 20 states and on four continents. And and when I talk about programming, I, we have exhibits that we install in churches and community centers and colleges. Um, I give lectures and workshops around storytelling as a way to connect people, okay. um, again, at a lot of places like that. And then we, we create, um, we gather local stories through these on-site studios. And and so that had become really a robust part of the business model. Um, and then when COVID happened, um, <laughs> you know, the economy handed me some free time again. Okay, right. Uh, That's we a theme, huh? <laughs> that is a recurring theme, unfortunately. <laughs> but we are resilient and we're creative. And so we find a, a, a path forward. And so um, we realized it was going to be some time before public programming could return. So we just wanted to focus on gathering new content. Um, and we can talk about we can talk about George Floyd in Minneapolis a little bit more. But when when George Floyd was killed in Minneapolis, I was, you know, hunkered down in my house like everybody else with yeah. the pandemic. But I knew, given what a piece of my mind was, if it was about storytelling, if it was addressing uh, social issues, that I needed to go and gather some stories around uh, that event. And so I brought a studio down to the intersection of 38th and Chicago where it happened and um, set up and simply asked people, what do you want to say? And gathered oh, wow. sort of community input. And it, it became this really powerful series of 50 portrait, black and white portraits with these short responses superimposed over it. Um, and it did a couple of things. It allowed us to uh, to bear witness and sort of gather stories locally. But it also told us that we could continue to generate content in the midst of a pandemic. Okay. Yeah. That we could be just as safe in a trailer as we were in a sticks and bricks house. And, yeah. um, and frankly, we were done mowing the lawn 
we were tired of that. Our kids were grown and gone. And um, so um, a year and a week ago, we sold our house, we bought the RV and we hit the road and we're really out sort of wading into the the stickiest social issues in our country. So we've, you know, we've gone down uh, to the border to uh-huh. talk about immigration. We've gone to Southern Mississippi to talk about Confederate monuments. We've talked about uh, environmental and land loss in Southern Louisiana. We were wow. talking about um, indigenous rights and, and water protection uh, up in Northern Minnesota. Um, and so we're, we're wading into these really challenging issues, but always with an eye towards finding people who are looking for creative solutions to our most challenging issues. Yeah. So, so I think it's really important that we don't put our heads in the sand, that we don't ignore these, these enormous challenges that we face as individuals, as a society. Um, but I also think it's really important that we approach those challenges with a grace and a hope and a belief that something better is possible. Well, that's, yeah, that's beautiful. So obviously you had a skill set that you brought to this work. You were, an, you are an award-winning photographer and then storytelling. When did the storytelling component become a part of your work? Has it always been, or is that more recent? Yeah. You know, I guess I've, I've always considered myself a storyteller in sorts of, of sorts. And it started out with a bias towards visual storytelling. Um, my career was in writing though. And so I've, even as I've worked as a photographer, most of my career, I always found that I was doing that journalistic research, that curious inquisition in the process. And so very often if I had a pet project as a freelancer and the photo budget wasn't big enough to justify my time. If I would also write the story um, and combine the two budgets, then we could make things work economically. And so, okay, yeah. so over time that sort of shifted. And as I, as a piece of my mind has grown, I still of course love the photography part of it. It's just part of my DNA at this point, but I also really love the crafting of words and, um, and, and, and historically the project has been about quieting my voice and amplifying other people's stories. But in this new book, Portraits of Peace, I realized after a decade of doing this work that I also had something that I wanted to say, you know, yeah. about about encountering difference and challenging my own expectations and becoming a better ally and this, you know, navigating these difficult conversations. And so, um, yeah, I don't know exactly where I fall in the balance uh, between uh, written and photographic storytelling, but certainly storyteller is the right title these days. Okay. Well, and that's obvious uh, as I'm reading your book. And so it, it seems to me that you're, you're taking your story um, and you're weaving the stories of all of these interesting individuals into your story and how you are evolving um, as a person and as, you know, a, a photojournalist slash photographer slash storyteller. Um, but I wonder if you would be uh, maybe willing to read just a portion, you know, just a snippet of um, of the book for our listeners to give them a, a taste of what they might encounter if they were to purchase the book themselves. Yeah, of course. And this is this is a section from the introduction. And I really think it sort of models how I go about my process. And it um, well, it starts like this. Make a circle with your thumb and forefinger. Imagine all the knowledge that you've ever acquired is held inside that circle. 
every fact, every experience, every memory. Now imagine a second circle that holds all the knowledge that has ever existed in the entire universe. How big would that circle be? I've asked students in classrooms and workshops to show me how big that second circle might be. They spread their arms into a wide arc, laugh, and claim it isn't possible to make a circle that large with their arms. Each time I encounter someone new, I recognize their circle holds knowledge and experiences that are different than mine. And if I let curiosity and compassion guide me, if I truly listen, I might learn something new and my circle will expand. That's what I did. I traveled the country interviewing and photographing people, gathering stories of grace, forgiveness, and reconciliation in search of common ground. I went outside of my own experience in the hopes that my circle might grow bigger and I could come to understand the world in new ways. I love that. I love that visual. I may have my uh, parishioners do that sometime. <clears throat> it's uh, really interesting. It, it, I, I've done it with, with um, church groups. I've done it with college students. I've done it with elementary school students. And every time you can sort of see the aha light up in their eyes. Yeah, I bet. I bet. No, I love that a lot. Um, so you're, you're traveling the country. You're meeting all these fascinating people from all different walks of life with different struggles, uh, different joys, different experiences. And then your, your job, so to speak, is to weave that story into your own story um, through the medium of photography, through, again, through story. But could you say more about the power of story in helping people find common ground and, and maybe story as a pathway to peace? Yeah, you know, I think that photography and storytelling, uh, so art and storytelling together, provide us some some access into some universal truths that are otherwise hard to access. You know, we we can have all of the facts and statistics of the world in front of us, and we can understand things intellectually. But when we encounter story, um, this is what connects us on a human level, and this is what sort of moves our heart to action. I think. And in this particular format, um, you know, these stories address some really challenging uh, and difficult subjects. And sometimes when we're experiencing that in real life, when we're in the middle of a debate or a dialogue, um, that can feel really challenging. It can feel uh, to some people like an attack. It can feel intimidating um, and, and keep you off balance. But there's something about this process where these stories are sort of delivered quietly. They're delivered along with a photograph that when you when you look at them uh, in an exhibit, they're sort of eye level and uh, larger than life. And, and you're able to sort of study and reflect on them in a way that's really not possible or not um, not appropriate in real life to come up <laughs> right. and, and study someone quite that closely. <laughs> but but then you can just sort of quietly take in that story without interruption, uh, without without it feeling like it has a barb attached to it or 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 some agenda. And it it is a gentle way to approach these things. And I think in the process of reading them, in the process of taking them in, um, people can start to challenge their own expectations. Yeah. You know, they may walk up to a photo um, and because of whatever bias or preconceived notions they have, um, have all sorts of expectations about who that person is. But when they then take the time to read the story, 
very often those expectations are challenged and those expectations are are broken down uh, and and new realities uh, come to light. And so for me, that that process of being willing to sit with someone, that process of being willing to hear that story. I mean, it's it's what Jesus did, right? With parables. You know, my podcast partner, David, and I were talking about that, that Jesus used story. And, and we imagine uh, that part of the reason he did that, and maybe part of the reason you do that, is that story tends to lower our defenses. You know, I, I can't really argue with you about your story. I mean, I can argue with you a lot about a lot of things, but your story is probably not one I would have much ground to stand on. So, yeah, right. That's somebody's yeah. truth. And I, I may disagree with them, but I can't, I can't argue that that's how they feel. Yeah. You know, and so, so that, that process of um, storytelling, I just really think can reach our hearts and move us in ways that facts and statistics can't. Yeah. You mentioned gentleness, that it's a gentle approach. And I think that ties right into humility, um, that if if we're going to work towards peace, if we're going to find a way to build bridges, um, that, that we can't do it with a hammer <laughs> or an AK-47. Is that the name of a gun? I think that's a I gun. I think it is, yeah. <laughs> that if we're going to build bridges, that it has to be through humility and grace and, like you said, gentleness. And so story and art um, and the beauty um, inherent in both, I think, is is a beautiful way to go about it. And, you know, one of the things I'm talking about in my congregation is we're starting to kind of craft a project so that we might be part of the solution in our community uh, for building bridges is that we need to find ways to kind of wade in and not just kind of come out of the gates with, let's have a big discussion on racism, right? But um, but to find ways to wade in so that it's not off-putting, um, way, you know, ways that are disarming. And I think art and story and what you're doing is is definitely one of those ways. So I want to shift a little bit to kind of logistical matters. Like how might, um, or maybe how have you seen pastors and churches you know, use story in their ministries, and even have you have you brought your exhibit to churches, and and what might that look like? Yeah. So if actually, if you don't mind, uh, Rhonda, my backing up a little bit. You said the word humility, and uh-huh. um, and I love that, and I it 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 brings to attention. I'm a I'm a middle aged white guy from up north, uh, in the suburbs, married to the same woman for 30 years, college educated, two kids. And I'm, I'm the poster child of privilege. Uh, if, if we want to talk about privilege and, um, many of the folks who I interview for this project do not share that same privilege. And Mm -hmm. so, um, I walk into conversations and situations where I am not the expert all many times. And I need to, I need to acknowledge, uh, that humility and that's where the deep listening comes in Mm -hmm. and to, to open myself up and, and make myself vulnerable in the process and say, look, I think I understand what's going on, but help me, help me understand if there's something I'm not seeing, you know, Mm -hmm. help me understand if there's something more to this. And I'll tell you that I, you know, I regularly, um, put my foot in my mouth or, or, you know, step into areas that I'm, I'm, I, I try to prepare myself for, but, but I'm ill-equipped for at times. And when that happens, I think we need to acknowledge that 
and we sort of have to ask for grace and we have to be able to move on. But it it becomes really important to me uh, as I edit these stories that I that I try to remove my filter as much as possible and amplify the voices of the people that I'm talking to yeah. as much as possible. And that's that's a part of that humility and learning and growth that happens when we enter into these conversations. You used a phrase that I'm trying to employ more and more. You said, help me understand. And um, yeah, I, I want to I use that phrase even more and more, you know, that's because that, that comes from a place of acknowledging there, I don't understand everything that's happening here, but you can help me. You know, it's it's a request, right? It's an acknowledgement. It's a humility. It's and it's a request. You can help me understand. Yeah. And at the same time, we can't really demand that other people educate us. But if we're in a space where we're having an authentic conversation and this comes out of genuine curiosity, um, we can open the space for that to happen. Yeah. 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 Good point. So, so you were you were asking about logistical matters. Logistics, and, yeah. How does this work? How does your how does your program work? And have you seen it? Have you seen churches, um, you know, set up your exhibit, or is it mostly community spaces where you set your exhibit up and that kind of no, thing? No, no. We've done we've done a number of church engagements. We just did one here in in Tacoma, Washington, uh, last month. And so, very often, what will happen? We have sort of these three elements of our programming that we do. We gather these local stories in studios. We do workshops and, and lectures, and then we do, um, we do the exhibit. And so very often I'll do like a week long residency at a church. We'll bring in the exhibit. We'll install it in the, in the narthex and the, um, at times we've done it in the sanctuary as well. And Uh so you've got like this great cloud of witnesses all around you in the sanctuary, uh, talking about ways to bridge divides. Um, but we'll put up that exhibit so that people have time over a couple of Sundays to absorb these stories and to, to walk through. Uh, and then, of course, of course, youth groups and Bible studies and whatever groups are gathering during the week can come and spend some time with it as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, when we do it as, as a two-Sunday thing, so we'll set up Saturday night, we'll take down Sunday evening the following week. Okay. So that first Sunday... I might do an adult ed session or I might do uh, the sermon and we'll talk about stories as a way to connect people. Then through the week, we'll come up with a prompt that the community wants to talk about. You know, I was um, I was teaching at a place called Holden Village in the Washington Cascades. It's a retreat mm-hmm. center and uh, their summer was focused around the theme of fear not. We see that a lot in the Bible, fear not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we asked people that week. Um, when have you found unexpected courage? You know, to ask them for examples in their life where they succeeded at not fearing, right? Where yeah, right. They found that courage. And and so through the course of the week there, we we photographed and took those stories from, you know, a few dozen people. And then at the at the end of one of our um our evening Vespers services, uh, we projected those back to the community of 300 people. And, um, and that's what I do a lot at churches. We'll do the studio process through the course of a week. And then in that final Sunday, we'll reflect their community stories back to them. And we've talked about all sorts of things. We've talked about bridging divides. We've asked people, what's the unique opportunity of talking about race at this moment in history? We've asked what kind of, you know, how does your faith call you, um, to, to reconciliation. Um, we'll change the question depending on what a community wants to talk about, but at the end we share that back and that, that gives 
the congregation a chance to sort of see themselves and their uh-huh. peers in new ways. Oh, I love that. And so that's kind of what, what our week-long residency winds up looking like. Okay. And it, uh-huh. it touches on a bunch of small groups, and then it has some some large group components at the beginning and end. Oh, I love that. And do you – somebody told me that – well, I'll scratch this from the pod. I'll edit it out if this is not true. But um, someone told me that you sometimes project your images onto – this, like the side of buildings, like in a city situation or? Yeah, we've done that. We, um, again, this is during COVID when we were trying to figure out some, some ways to share public art when we couldn't gather in public. Oh, okay. And yeah. so when we had this series of photos from George Floyd's uh, killing in Minneapolis, there was a, a Lutheran church uh, about eight blocks north of there that had this huge white wall um, that was just blank on the side of their sanctuary facing north along the street. And I'd, I'd sort of eyed it up for a couple of years, wondering if it would work to project something on there, but I didn't know what to project. I went to them with this series from George Floyd and asked if we could, if we could project those large on the side. So that it was like 20 feet by 30 feet big. And for 10 nights, I I put up a wobbly extension ladder and climbed up onto the roof and, and pulled the projector up there and, um, and projected it as public art for the community to see. Oh, I love that. And we've done that in, yeah, we've done that in other places. We've done it at colleges where we projected on the sides of academic buildings. Uh Um, we did it in uh, a town in West Virginia where we did stories about, um, resilience Okay. And finding strength in the midst of difficult circumstances. And uh, for a couple of nights, we projected those images on the side of one of their historic theaters so that yeah. people could come out to view them. And it's a, it's, um, it's a really lovely public culmination of, of the work that we do in a community. Yeah, and it's and it's quite a gift to a community too. Um, probably pretty eye catching if you drive driven by that wall a hundred thousand times and suddenly there's beautiful art on the side of it. Um, it, it really grabs yeah. people, and um, then at the end, everybody who's participated in the process also gets a link to a gallery so that they have their own photo and they can. Oh yeah, it. good. You know, those pop up on social media as new profile pictures, and they sort of they yeah. sort of ripple out all of these beautiful messages of strength and courage and transformation and healing out into the world. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I guess last question, uh, and I tend to kind of wrap up my interview questions with asking what you might say to clergy. And, and with you, since you're a creative, and there's definitely a part of uh, especially I, I think of preaching, it, it takes a lot of creativity every week to come up with something interesting and relevant and inspiring to say, right? So what might you offer by way of encouragement uh, or advice to pastors or clergy about keeping our creative juices flowing? Man, how does the non-clergy guy advise clergy <laughs> members? That's a challenge. <laughs> you know, I, I, I guess... Um, and, and, and you all know this, we all know this, that we have to continue to feed ourselves. Yeah. You know, you're, um, as an artist, one of my goals is to feed the community, to, to uh, offer a spark to the, to the souls of the folks around me yeah. and help them, help them uh, dust off the, the noise of everyday life, to help them see things, either see new things or see old things in new ways. Yeah. Right. That's the power of art. I also think it's the power of preaching and the power of, of, um, 
of leading a congregation. But of course, um, and again, you all know this, but you've got to feed yourself in the mm -hmm. process. You've got to keep your own soul going. And so for me, uh, somebody asked me uh, recently, how do you encounter all these stories of pain and not uh, sort of internalize and carry mm -hmm. that with you? And I, I responded and said, I, I'm not sure that I do. I'm not sure that I do keep it at arm's distance. And, and so there, there is a cost to doing this work. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a cost to being clergy as well as you're caring about all of the other people around you. Um, and so for me, keeping that creativity going is rooted in, um, in, in tending to your own soul, tending to yeah. your own heart. And for, for me, I mean, that's different for everybody. For my dad, it was carving wooden ducks, you know, that's not my yeah. thing, but for <laughs> me, it's being out in nature. And so when I can feel that, uh, my, my flame is getting dim when I can feel that I'm running out of gas, whatever the metaphor is, you know, I need to go back out into the woods or along the coast or into the mountains and, uh, recharge a little bit. So very, in a very real way, as we're on this journey dealing with all of these really serious issues, um, we're always close to nature and we're always spending time there to recharge. And I think that's, that's my best advice is to make sure you're listening to your own heart and tending to it as you need to. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I think that's really good advice. You did well. You passed the test. Oh, phew. <laughs> good. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you, John Noltner. And we can find your book on Amazon.com or at Broadleaf Books. Um, and your, uh, tell us your website. Yeah, the website is a piece of my mind.net, P E A C E, like you said. Or if people don't want to type all those letters, you can type the acronym A P O M M.net. Okay. All right. Well, wonderful. Thanks again for being on the podcast today, John. It's great to talk with you. Thanks for having me. Well, that's a wrap for this bonus episode of Pastor Life Podcast from Pinnacle Leadership Associates. Our deepest thanks to John Noltner for being part of the pod today and for sharing a little bit about his story and his project, A Piece of My Mind. You can learn more about John and his project at apomm.net. I guess that's the initials for A Piece of My Mind, apomm.net. And you can learn more about Pastor Life and Pinnacle Leadership Associates at pinlead.com. That's P-I-N-N-L-E-A-D.com. And you know what, Rhonda? We probably don't take the time that we should to thank people who've been listening in to Pastor Life. There's a group of clergy who are kind of gathering around these conversations. And, you know, a year ago, I would never have imagined that. So... I'm grateful for the people who are listening in. I, I hope and I think that we're providing some good resources. And as always, we'd love to hear feedback from any of you who are listening out there in the world. Yeah, that's a good word, David. Thanks for that. It's been a challenging time for pastors over this past year and a half. And so it's good that um, we're, we're finding a way to build some community. So thanks for being part of our Pastor Life family. 